Mm. Yeah, you can taste the strong there. What? For only 7%, that's... um. That's only 7%? Yeah. Whoa. It it tastes like a lot more alcohol than that. Sit, Ubu, sit. Ooh, bad dog. Mm. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Blind Tiger Podcast, your one-stop shop for your news, reviews, and all things brews. I'm your host, the man who knows that the luck of the Irish actually refers to Irish mining skills during the gold rush, so they were sort of real-life leprechauns, Rob Fisher. With me, as always, is the man whose pot of gold is really a carboy of golden ale, Mike Albright. And of course, the man whose audio wizardry is so great, those bastard kids will never get their hands on his goddamn lucky charms. <laughs> the man among us who is actually Irish, the man far, far too handsome for the color green, Jesse Clark. Today is March 18th, 2015, and we're recording episode 50, Kiss My Shamrocks. For more information on any of the segments from today's show, visit our website at www.blindtigerpodcast.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, or subscribe to the show on iTunes. And for those who enjoy listening to podcasts via Stitcher, we are now there as well. We provide near-daily news, reviews, and just about anything involving brews. Don't miss out and subscribe today. So yesterday marked the auspicious holiday known as St. Patrick's Day. Personally, I've always been a huge fan of this holiday, even if it never quite sat well with me. I find it deeply bizarre that the non-Irish, quote-unquote, celebrate a group of people who were not that long ago considered to be shiftless, thieving, illegal immigrants by becoming the overly boisterous and drunkenly destructive stereotype that they likely themselves used to loathe. (laughs) But since actual Irish-Americans seem to love the holiday as much as we do, then I suppose it's all in good fun, right? Right? (laughs) I do notice that Yorgos has their sign out, like, come celebrate, uh, you know, St. Patty's Day with us. They're Greek bar. (laughs) They're a Greek pub. Uh, And you probably would get your ass kicked being overtly Irish on, like, any other day of the year. But thankfully, on St. Patty's Day, we're all a little Irish. So, while the holiday was certainly a blast for me, it it also inspired this week's opening question, which is... If you were to get drunk with a real-life leprechaun in order to steal his gold, what beer would you use and why? So, Mike, what would you use to swindle a leprechaun? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what's better than the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow? How about two pots of gold at the end of a double rainbow? Mm. Double rainbow amber ale would be my choice to get the small man's lips loose and reveal the s- secret hiding place to his pot of gold. Then, once he's passed out, I can sneak away with a cauldron full of gold pieces. Keep in mind that a standard 7x4x2-inch gold bar is about 28 pounds, so I may need to hit the gym in order to carry it away with me. <laughs> and, I, you know, sure, I could have chosen some sort of, like, bourbon arrow aged beer, since we all know anyone with a hint of patty in them is a drunken potato lover, but I refuse <laughs> to give in to typical Irish stereotypes. Bravo. All right. So, Jesse, as the Irish among us? Yeah, well, um, I noticed you said real leprechauns, though, in this. Um, that, was a, that was a curious... Yeah, real life. Um, yep. Yeah, real ones. So, um, and we, we all know that real leprechauns, when they're not guarding their pot of gold, they're eating sugary sweet breakfast cereals, such as Lucky Charms. Of course. I would, of course, of, uh, I would take a few boxes. You need a few of them first. You need to start with at least three, mm. because you have to dispose, firstly, of all the dry cat food parts, <laughs> <laughs> and just fill it up with that magical 
can that just all marshmallows like we all did you hope for that like i hope for that when i was a kid i would like open up the box of, of lucky charms and i was praying that i would get that factory defect where they didn't exactly. include the cat food it was just marshmallows they, they make oops all berries for captain crunch yeah, why the like, hell not oops all marshmallows oops like, <laughs> are all marshmallows so anyway i was i hope for that and you know and so i would do that i would i would make up a, bo- a box and then like oh here you go leprechaun i brought your box of cereal, you know, and he would be so surprised and so happy that he's getting all the marshmallows. He doesn't know that it's swimming in a milk stout. Oh. It would be a very hefty milk stout. I would, it would be, and uh, he would drink that. He would get drunk. And, um, but I think though, t- to my chagrin, I would, what would happen though, is I probably wouldn't recognize that I'm sitting across from Warwick Davis. Yeah. <laughs> the guy who played, you know, he was Flitwick, and he was uh, uh, Grip Hook in, in Harry Grip, Potter. Grip Hook, he was yeah. also Lubden uh, in the Demonic Leprechaun series. <laughs> and, I, and Leprechaun 1, Leprechaun 2, Leprechaun 3, Leprechaun 4 in Space, Leprechaun 5 <laughs> in The Hood, Leprechaun 6, Back to the Hood, and Back Leprechaun hood, 7, yeah. which is 2014 um, uh, Origins, which I've yet to see. Oh. I'm sure I will soon. But I suspect then, our, to my horror, it would probably be, well, this Irish boy trying to trick this luck, this 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 uh, this leprechaun into giving his, giving his pot of gold, and maybe he will be a, a drunk fighting Irish, or maybe he will be a drunk demonic slaying leprechaun, um, and smote my ruin upon the lucky charms. Nice, but that's what might happen. I Is love it? Warwick Davis, man. Have you seen Life's Too Short, mm-hmm. the uh, Ricky Gervais uh, sitcom starring Warwick Davis, where he plays a caricature of himself as like deeply insecure and like overly um asinine and kind of stupid and uh basically it's all about him having a talent agency for other little people but then he takes all the best roles for anyone that comes in for himself (laughs) so all his clients are angry at him but nobody wants to fire him because he's a little person helping little people and it it gets crazy and hilarious that's hilarious that's That's really good he's a very funny guy so did they actually make a leprechaun in space? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not joking. What I gave you is exactly... <laughs> oh, my God. Not just leprechaun in the hood, but leprechaun oh, back. six, back, back the to the hood. Back to the hood. T-H-A, the hood. <laughs> nice. So d- did every like horror series, like when they had n- completely ran out of ideas, they just sent their evil killers up into space? Yeah, they did yeah. that for Jason, too, right? No, we Jason also had that for um, the pinhead... What's that? Hellraiser. Hellraiser, Hellraiser yeah. was in space. Jesse would know. He watched all 12 of them in a row. Oh yeah, I did. Yep. <laughs> Well, the end of this semester, I'm looking forward to uh, the new leprechauns. Nice. <laughs> oh, shit. So, <laughs> so, yes, if you have any horror flicks that I should watch for this semester break coming up, um, not the spring break I'm on now, but afterwards, please write to the show. and uh, Jesse at the Blind Tiger Podcast. Yes. So, uh, for my answer, I once it was something that was a little bit more traditionally upper crust. I was going to swindle... The leprechaun out of his gold by exchanging it with gold, specifically the Golden Nugget IPA. So this is from a Toppling Goliath Brewing Company out of Iowa, and I thought that maybe in some sort of weird, vague, legal monstrosity of a contractual agreement, I could exchange Golden Nugget, mm-hmm. the beer, for Golden Nuggets, the actual thing. And therefore, after having the leprechaun get very drunk and persuading him that this was a great financial decision for him, exchanging more Golden Nuggets 
for golden nuggets, I would end up walking away with tons of actual gold and he would end up with a ton of beer. Um, considering the weight of gold is much more valuable than the beer itself, I could then go out and buy a butt-tut of the beer that I then had to give away. I was going to say, who, who actually wins in that scenario? <laughs> <laughs> he may have a little beer and enjoy himself, but I have all the gold. So, uh, yes, my goal was to try to do him something more legally so that if he attempts to then take me to court afterwards, I've done nothing actually wrong. They are like they are known for being contractual, aren't they? Like very right. like to the letter of things. Like that was it that was in Harry Potter then too. Like when you make a deal with Grip Hulk, you make sure right. that you follow through. I mean it was like Wait, so he was a leprechaun? <laughs> I don't know the answer. I that don't know. Question. Like it, they were guarding all the gold. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah, they were, weren't they? They were oh, the, wait, yeah, 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 it was at the uh were oh the goblins? Gosh, yeah, yeah. They were goblins. goblins, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Goblins. <laughs> I'm sorry, he played a leprechaun. He's small. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a tiny mythical creature guarding gold. I can say you could get them confused. Yeah, yeah. the one is, yeah. Harry Potter. That's Hydus. Damn you, Harry Potter. What was the name of that, that, that bank? I forget the... Gringotts. Gringotts, that's Gringotts. right. Gringotts. Nerd alert. Oh, I was just grading some of the midterms, and someone thought uh, Bellatrix Lestrange yeah. was... Uh, oh, I forgot what, they, what she thought she was. Was um, it, someone it, it was in Twisted Sister? Like, <laughs> no, no, it was uh, Music and Cinema. So, and so, so someone put Bellatrix Lestrange was like the director of or composer for whatever film. or. Yeah. That doesn't sound too far off as, no, a, I mean, as a composer. But enough Harry Potter speak. Let's move on <laughs> to a little beer news. Really enough? What is there after enough? <laughs> beer news. So, uh, yeah. Uh, let's move on to a little local news to start out with. It looks like Lancaster County beer distributors will start selling 12-packs soon. Whoa. Which is actually really exciting news. So, uh, I assume that most of our listeners probably know how PA's liquor laws are set up because if you're not buying beer, uh, I don't know what you're doing listening to us, but congratulations <laughs> for coming in anyway. So basically, at a distributor, you get to buy uh, anything uh, from a case up in in increments of cases or kegs. So if you go to a distributor, you are buying a bulk whether you like it or not. Um, and then when you go to a bar or any other carryout bottle operation, you are only supposed to be buying up to 12 packs at a single purchase. However... Distributors have awesome selection. Bars, not always. So, the, it turns out that uh, it, Lancaster County distributors are apparently going to get the option to sell smaller 12-packs instead of having to do a whole case, which is great because I would love mix and match half cases. That would be amazing. So, uh, apparently, lawyers for the uh, Liquor Control Board said that 12-packs can be sold by beer distributors, um, which is exciting news. So, apparently, it looks like it's going to... Um, Take a while to uh, fill the pipeline, says Ken Keith Rutt, owner of Wheatland. Uh, it's a new thing for us. Uh, how they're going to order it and where they're going to put it is going to be something different. But uh, apparently they can buy 12-pack of a kind or 12-pack of another kind. So they can actually do a half-and-half half case, which oh, is pretty awesome. That is pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, it turns out that the, uh, the article uh, has a lot of fluff in it. because It's really just an announcement. It's probably mm -hmm. all in the title. But there's a lot of quotes from uh, consumers who are super excited about this um apparently it also goes for breweries who will be able to sell 12 packs as well which is awesome that's very yes. good uh, i was reading the pittsburgh post gazette uh article on this and apparently like uh some of this legislation was pus pushed through by ex is it rivertown brewing which is out in pittsburgh mm. one of those guys i think had a hand in it so nice. they're one of the first um because have you been to a distributor lately i guess no. Yeah, as soon as they can get the stuff, they can start to sell it. Like Sweet. It's like a right-away thing. So out there, they said they were just starting to come in. Some of the first 12-packs were from Rivertown. Also, Shipyard and Coronado nice. were already uh, in the pipeline. Cool. 
So I'm, I'm definitely really looking forward to that. Cause sometimes I really don't want like a whole case at, when I go to a distributor, especially if it's like, if we, if you're allowed to mix and match like that, that's, that's really what I want. Cause sometimes when you get like a mix and match, it's like two things you don't want for two that you do. Well, the other option I think is I'm actually more excited about it is the fact that like when hop slam slip ships out next mm. year, perhaps hop slam will be in the half case as opposed to full cases. Yeah. So you might be able to can double the number of people who get access to it. That'd be nice. Considering um, Wheatland, which we've said it already, was what? They do a pre-waiting list where they had 13 cases show up and like 18 people in their waiting list. Yeah, like something like that. before yeah. it showed up. Plus all the you know, special people. and Oh, yeah. 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 It's starting to get the that way. The other list. The special <laughs> people? Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's, I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily them that did it, but I, there's definitely been some distributors that like might sell out before they even you know, sell any just because... People, people they know friends, for uh, themselves that they only get like four cases. Yeah, that's uh, special sure. favors here and there. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we should interview them and see if we can get on that good <laughs> list. Yeah. Well, another exciting light, uh, in other exciting local news, uh, another short article there where the news is all in the headline. Fly Magazine is giving away two tickets to the Susquehanna Ale Trails. How do I win? <laughs> uh, so apparently all you got to do is go to flymagazine.net slash ticket dash contest contest dash Susquehanna dash ale dash trail dash brewmaster dash tasting dash tour holy crap anyway that'll be in the show notes for you guys um you just gotta fill out some basic information uh none of that actually has to do with your age which i find interesting really nothing uh, nothing <laughs> nothing asks your age they don't ask for your age i'm assuming they want your phone number so they'll probably call you and ask for whatever um ask me what your, your favorite <laughs> regional brew is i'm wondering who they're looking uh to get huh. so the prize for this specific contest is two tickets to the susquehanna ale trail brewmaster tasting tour april 10th through 12th and 17th through 19th um apparently the total prize for this vet prize value is 30 dollars and so yeah if you want to get on that and hopefully get two free tickets to one of the uh, geographically largest uh, drinking trails. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a way to do it. <laughs> it's not much of a trail. <laughs> it's more of a please God have a designated driver because you're going to be drinking a lot, driving forty minutes. 40 and minutes. Then, yeah, <laughs> it's more of a marathon. Isn't it? Yeah. Really is, yeah. And then go off to the next location twenty minutes away to drink more. That's cool. So um, you know, we'll probably all be signing up for it. So good luck to all our listeners. <laughs> gave them the wrong URL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should to increase uh, our personal magazine. chances. We're pushing all these people in here, so give us oh. better odds. Um, but yeah, so that's cool. So let's move on to a little national news, Mike. Here's a fun article. So Oregon brewer Ninkesi brews beer with space yeast. Now you may be thinking, like I was, that it's a little odd that the first evidence of extraterrestrial life should be published in the Portland Business Journal, but it <laughs> seems that gimmicks are afoot. Yes, if you thought it was silly that people forked up cold hard cash to drink moon dust laden beer by Dogfish Head, you'll really roll your eyes when you find out that Ninkasi spent what is sure to be a healthy amount of money and resources to send perfectly good terrestrial yeast into what is technically upper earth orbit and then make a beer out of it. But if you are to believe Nikasi co-founder, uh, when he says this stunt represents the future of brewing, and he actually said that, then he's also got a beer to sell you. Wait, so he's shooting up yeast into a space shuttle or something that goes up high yep. into the atmosphere, comes yep. back down. Right back down. Makes beer out of it and mm -hmm. says that's the future 
That's of, the future of brewing because you don't know what happened when it was up there for all of probably eighteen minutes. Oh yeah. Minutes. Anyway, so it did have a different time, right? I mean, it's it's it was. Uh, remember, they were doing those time experiments with relativity. Oh, yeah. Technically, yes. yeah. Time so technically, dilation. at some point, it was doing it was that it was working at a different speed, right? Uh, That's kind of technically the beer would be probably insignificantly. Younger, yes, than advertised. Yeah. Then, yeah, that's. I feel like it's a Star Trek nothing. episode. It would be out of phase with you. You would drink it. Yeah, would, yeah. it's like well, the traveler. I'm, it's gonna. The beer's gonna go in. <laughs> I'm waiting for the the lawsuits for false advertising. This beer was fermented for 18 months. Liar! It was for 17 yeah. months. It's 29, 29 days. Six hours. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like uh, a Mulder with his little stopwatch is there, right? The yeah. alien beer. Totally. <laughs> Although the Fantastic Four uh, were. Space radiation, yeah, solar yeah. radiation, I guess, or something, uh, turn them to have their superpowers. So maybe you'll get a beer that's superpowered, or a beer that or gives you superpowers. No. That's what I think every time I drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's exciting. Yeah, space yeast. Mm. Yeah, they made some sort of crazy stout with it that had like everything under the sun in it, like anise pods and cocoa nibs, cacao nibs, whatever, and mm. you know. But you can really taste the space yeast. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling you. <laughs> you can really taste the vacuum of space. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, another awesome technology of brewing news. Yeah. Powdered alcohol gets TTB approval. Mm-hmm. So Mike reported uh, not too long ago on this guy who is attempting to make powdered alcohol. Or he has made powdered alcohol called Palcohol. Um, it's your best friend. <laughs> uh, but apparently there's a lot of hurdles between um, inventing something that is for, um, that, well, he didn't, I mean, I guess he invented it kind of. But uh, yeah, there's uh, hurdles to go from having a product to putting on the marker, uh, putting on the market. So uh, Mark Phillips uh, announced recently that the um, one of the hurdles is getting the FDA to make sure that the product isn't adulterated in any way, that essentially it is what it says it is. Mm-hmm. And... I think taking the water out of alcohol still makes it alcohol. It's just waterless. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's not a supplement then where they don't have, yeah. can't regulate that at all. <laughs> they should. Any, yeah. So, uh, but he said that the uh, TTB gave them uh, approval. That doesn't mean that it's uh, going to be on our shelves necessarily anytime soon. State by state will be regulating it, obviously. So PA may decide that they don't want this, uh, considering it probably could be a little bit of a dangerous product. But uh, apparently there's going to be four products have been approved. So they are powdered versions of the Cosmo, the Margarita, huh. vodka, and rum. So people oh, can God. snort alcohol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He expects the lemon drop should be approved shortly. <laughs> so it is possible you will basically see four loco with In a pixie this stick. <laughs> yeah. taped to the side so you can recreate the horrible experience that that once oh, was. Awesome. That'll be the next slum in it. We'll do lines of alcohol. <laughs> well, I'm just picturing like Red Bull and vodka being Red Bull and then some oh, a pixie stick oh, yeah. being yeah. poured into it and be like, here you go, man. But yeah, the idea of snorting bah, bad news bears. But it's an interesting thing. It would be a great thing to take Camping, if you're a big drinker, because carrying any sort of liquid is super heavy. Gotta um, cut down on that weight, that's true. And <laughs> not enjoyable. So, yeah, uh, that thing, think, you know, it could be interesting. Um, I doubt PA will be one of the first adopters, but we'll see. Yeah, I can't see that happening. No. Although they do sell weird-ass shit in, like, the you know mini marts around here. It's true. Speaking of weird-ass shit, oh, yeah. <laughs> tell us about Budweiser. Good segue, good segue. All right, so Budweiser doubles down on its craft beer slamming message that it makes good beer. 
So this is in reference to the uh, Super Bowl ad that they aired that we discussed on uh, a couple of shows previous. So Budweiser released a video on its YouTube page made spe- especially for the New York City Restaurant Week where it hid cameras in a Brooklyn bar and gave patrons samples of a mystery beer. Of course, the mystery beer turned out to be Budweiser, and we are treated to the supposedly pleasantly surprised and shocked faces of consumers once they found out. Though most of what is said by the consu- uh, customers is inaudible, the closed captioning fills in the blanks. Consumers responded positively to the beer when they didn't know what they were drinking. I feel that most of their faces were actually grimaces of disgust, and if you watch the video, I think you'll agree with me. <laughs> uh, but we and they are told it is a very good, crisp, clean, beechwood-aged beer by a very convincing AB InBev bartender. I call shenanigans, uh, not necessarily that I can't believe that people can like a beer without having any biases, but that the stunt was set up in a trendy area of Brooklyn filled with hipsters. If that crowd can suck down Pabst in enough quantities to make its stock rise, I don't think it's too hard to impress them with a bud. Having just got back from the land of loggers, I feel like I could easily take the Pepsi challenge on Budweiser. Well, and there's a lot, obviously, that goes into that. I mean, there is a bias of opinion. Uh, taste is very much affected by what you were expecting to have. So if you're being told that it's a great craft beer, yeah. that will have some influence. The other one is it was probably served with them freaking ice cold. And a lot of that beer tastes really great. So I'd be curious to see what they thought about it after... Letting it sit yeah. there for forty minutes and drinking those last couple swigs of the dregs, and I think it's like, yeah, like they were given like small samples, like sort of like in the little cups. So yeah, I'm sure it was ice cold. They just took a swig, thought, oh, that's not too bad. And with the yeah, the bartender was like, yeah, it's crisp, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, it is crisp. I'm sure he was kind of leading them on. I'm sure if you put urine into a small cup and served ice, <laughs> ice, ice cold, people would be like, yeah, this is crisp as hell. The slight acidicness on the tongue, yeah, back on, of the tongue. The tongue yeah. Well, maybe they're just being nice to the bartender. Like, oh, yes, this is very crisp. Yes. there, There's an adjective I'll use to describe this. Well, that's one of those things like Jimmy Kimmel does that with South by Southwest is going on right now. Yeah. And uh, he does that thing where he goes out and he goes, so have you guys heard of the new band? Crispin Lover loves you know feet or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I totally am into that band when it's a fake band. Yeah. Like you realize that you <laughs> could say that to anyone anywhere, and most people on camera aren't going to take the risk of being like, I have never heard of this thing that you're interviewing me for. I really want to be on TV, but I'm going to say something that I look like I'm not hip mm-hmm. or with it at this festival of mine. Like nobody's gonna say that, and so you know. It's going to happen. You know, the number of times amongst our friends who are people we do not generally judge for things and you go, oh, did you watch that movie, that classic movie that everyone's raving about? And more often than not, people will probably be like, yeah, 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 because yeah. it's, you know. Just want to go along. Yeah. It's just human nature. We were listening to a lot of podcasts because we were on the plane a lot. And mm-hmm. one of them we were listening to was You Made It Weird by Pete Holmes. And he was interviewing Joel McHale. And he did that uh, thing where like Joel McHale like, said, oh, my friend, you know, Dave Spence. And Pete was like, yeah, I know Dave Spence. And uh, Joel was just like, no, you don't. <laughs> and Pete was like, oh, damn. Like, usually I get people with that. You know, when I say that, they're like, oh, you know him. And they kind of like, uh, they really want to believe it. But then, you know, Joel McHale was just like, no, you're full of shit. <laughs> uh, Joel McHale's the sort of asshole who wouldn't put up yeah. with that. He... Uh, he was the host of uh, the Video Game Awards last year, and he was really? just sarcastic and clearly had no respect for the job that he was doing. He was just like, yeah, 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 video games. games yeah. Like, he was really kind of an asshole about it. So I totally buy that. I totally buy that. We were trying to think, like after listening to that interview, it's like, I feel like his on-screen persona is maybe close to his like real life persona. Like he does actually seem like an asshole. I think he's nicer in, in on-screen than he is in real yeah, life. Really? Ooh, okay. like, he's yeah. a little nicer on community than anything else. Yeah, in community, he has to come to these prophetic, like, you know, oh, actually, I was kind of being a jerk, wasn't I? Well, yeah. 
That's the tall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from the soup. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. Looks like uh, what are they always making the joke? Um, Ryan Seacrest. Yeah, yeah, he does kind of look like Ryan Seacrest. He does. Uh, let's not shit on him too hard. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I could see that. Like totally, you can get people yeah. to kind of go along with you. And I mean, Penn and Teller did the thing with bottled water on their bullshit, where yeah. they went into a fancy restaurant and they basically kept telling people that they were having a fancier water that mm. costs more money and then asking them to rate it. And because of that, people kept saying, oh, this water is the best. But I kind of just feel like if you just said, even if the pricing wasn't the same, here's like my water, do you like it? People are going to say, yeah, because they're people are just agreeable by nature. And, you know, the psychology of it is, is that y- yes. And yet that's it. And while I'm a, of the opinion that we should be careful about that sort of thing, where when we go into a fancy restaurant, we shouldn't just say that we like what we're eating because we're in a fancy restaurant. If you don't like it, like be honest about it. But it's a hard thing to do, especially when like the people who made the thing are standing there right in front of you. Mm. You know, that's what I was arguing about that particular coffee shop that I will go unnamed. Uh. Was that I thought the atmosphere every time I was there, the atmosphere is amazing, and you're thinking like, wow, this is this is good coffee. I'm drinking coffee. I'm like this is amazing coffee. This is uh-huh. a beautiful place inside. And then I took it out to go, and I was like. This is not good coffee. Mind you, I've had it since then okay. because of my geographical convenience mm, here. Yes, yeah. And I thought it was fine. I thought <laughs> fine, it was very really? I thought it was very caffeinated, but Yeah, oh god. Uh, yes. But uh but I thought I thought it was fine. I Two, mean, it's not like square one quality. I know. <clears throat> Two cups and I feel like I'm all, I'm on an acid trip. Like I just <laughs> <laughs> It's it's really caffeinated. It is very, yeah. Andale, andale, arriba, arriba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> Who, mind you, had the slowest. He was also cousin to the slowest mouse yeah. in all of Mexico. Slowpoke Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slowpoke Rodriguez. God, it's like two offensive stereotypes in one. <laughs> <laughs> I love them both so very much. Not for their offensiveness, but just because they're adorable. Yeah, nostalgia, definitely. He always seemed drunk, though, too. Wasn't Rodriguez always the drunk one? Yeah, he was. He was, like, hiccuping yeah, he, and- yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> so check out the segue. So speaking of cartoon characters from around the world, <laughs> let's move on to our next segment: beers from around the world. Nice. Beer from around the world. Beers from a galaxy far, far away, brought home for your tasting pleasure. Right, should I go first, international edition? Um, sure. All right. So Rob and I have been traveling these past few weeks and have brought back souvenirs of the liquid variety. While I traveled across the Atlantic to the beautiful Mediterranean countries of Slovenia and Croatia, Rob went to an even more exotic tropical landscape, California. (laughs) (laughs) Rob may have been to what some may see as the Mecca state of craft beer, whereas I was in a bit of a beer desert if you can consider the Sahara a bit of a sandbox. (laughs) European lagers of varying qualities abounded, but lo and behold, I was able to find a specialty craft beer store on my last full day of travel and literally grabbed what I was able to get my hands on. The result, an actual Balkan IPA. The employee employee that worked at this store saw me going after IPAs and more than suggested a particular brew. She grabbed it off the shelf and before I could protest, scanned it and added it to my collection. It's an aggressive salesperson. Yes, it is. She's like, oh, you like IPAs? You're going to want this one. I was just like, nah, all right. The exchange rate is fantastic, by the way. So I wasn't about to argue. I was just like, all right. My 79 cents, yes. bro. Are they euro? 
Uh, yes, because I was in Slovenia. They were on the euro. Yeah. So and the even, euro even that is the best. It's the best exchange rate it's been for a very long time. Yes, now. it's almost on par. There's yeah. still a little bit more than this, but it's, it's quite good. It is with that I have very high hopes for this beer. Most of my trip was filled placating myself with each country's national beer. Most were palatable, some less than mediocre, and one can even be said to perhaps be my newest worst beer ever. So I just want to <laughs> give a quick shout out. Congratulations to Tuborg, a beer so awful I couldn't even finish one, and I was stuck in the goddamn Coach Airline seat for 10 hours uh, the name sounds Swedish but is in fact a product of Denmark and for that they should know better see so yeah, on the plane they had uh, two beers and one was called two Borg and I was like yeah give me that one and I only got about halfway through it was just awful drain pour indeed on a plane that's really hard because there's not really a drain to pour it. yeah there's really no yeah exactly um, so I wish I could do like a quick slum in it segment with you guys but <laughs> I did not bring one back and nor do I care to know if they actually sell to here to this country so instead I have the good beer uh, I'm gonna go grab it real quick go for it beer 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 uh, so I wish I could describe it more. I was on a tour and I saw this like specialty beer store and I'm like, made a note, I have to come back here. And I did, but literally I went in there as like, I was supposed to be actually meeting with the group because they were leaving. <laughs> so as I, I ran in, they, um, it wasn't a huge store, but they had things segmented very nicely that they, they had a bunch of like, uh, obviously, um, like, um, you know, Belgian beers, big selection of that. I wish I could have looked a little bit harder at because I'm sure there was some nice stuff in there. Uh, English beers. I was able to pick up the Meantime IPA that uh, you brought yeah. back from uh, way back when. Uh, they had actually a healthy selection of American beers. I was quite impressed. Uh, Founders, Hop and Frog. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, uh, Sierra Nevada. Yeah, I didn't see anything from Pennsylvania, but like a, quite a quite a decent gamut, I thought. Wow. And they did actually have a very small selection of actual like... Um, kind of Balkan beers so this is if you want to be technical Austrian because they're the Slovenia is the country right below Austria okay. uh, but it's right across the border and she said that it is actually made by a Slovenian brewer so I think it counts it's still around the world yep. <laughs> um, it's a shame you didn't get to spend more time I, I went in in London it was really funny being in the, uh, the a craft beer store there in one of their open markets which was particularly weird but it was really great when um some londonites were in looking for craft beer and they were looking at the very expensive obviously because it's imported um american craft beers and i was like ooh, ooh, i'm american i have had all these beers i can tell you about them i can tell you about them and they were sort of like yeah buddy you need to just chill out <laughs> i was like but, but but i can tell you if that's worth like 15 dollars. i can tell you if it is yes. 15 dollars. well because you know if you're shipping across uh, yeah. the Atlantic, there it gets expensive so yeah that's one thing. I didn't actually look at the prices of the American stuff. Didn't have time. So I wonder what they were charging then. But, All right. But anyway, here we go. Uh, I get great pineapple notes out of this, actually. Yeah, very, very tropical in the nose. Yeah. It's good. Hmm. It's not too bad. It's different. Um, there's a there's a sweetness in there. Hmm. Yeah, there's weird. a lot of... Yeah, it's really... It's yeah. mouthfeel. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's, it's like... Um, it's actually very bitter, like just a lot of bittering hops in there too. Your mouth kind of puckers at it, and you get a lot of the, the little bit of the sweetness. Yeah, yeah. It um, it wouldn't scream European to me right away. Um, like if I had this at the bar, I'd be like, "Well, this is something a little funky." Uh, funky as in unusual, not funky as in bad, but no. um, unusual. If I was like uh, at a bar here and was drinking it, um, but. If someone said, oh, it's because it's European beer, like, ah, because I do kind of get 
sort of a multi sweetness in there and it doesn't seem to be overly bitter and that doesn't surprise me too much but um this is a having the same experience you had mike while in england mm-hmm. where everything's a freaking bitter or a lager yeah. um this would be a fantastic uh <laughs> oasis in the sandbox as it were yeah i mean this is pretty much all i kind of wanted when i went over there because mm-hmm. there's not like a whole lot of body to it which kind of surprises mm-hmm. me it's about seven percent abv uh, and 70 IBUs, it says, which I could definitely see. Yeah, I would um, say it's like it has a Pilsner body almost. But it's, yeah, it's yeah, definitely... It's um, interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a lot of like the sessionable IPAs that you get around here now. Yeah. Definitely very, very drinkable. Very hot forward, yeah. but yeah, drinkable. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I can place a, anything that would be very similar to it that I've had. Like, it is sort of a... It's weird. It's just different. It is, because there's... Yeah, what is that sweetness? Like, I really get it. Ah, it's like... Hidden behind the bitterness, um, and it's not quite malty. But no, it's, it's not. It's not a malty citrusy. sweetness. It's, it's like and they have a lot of honey in that region. I mean, maybe maybe they throw honey in this too. I mean, that might make it. I mean, it's kind of dry. No, I can't place it, but it's there. Hmm. I mean, that is a truly unique offering. Cool. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, I was waiting for a very a very weak lager to come out the door and be like, "Yay, <laughs> this is." Oh, God, that was extremely fresh, too, because the date on this is... Well, actually, no, they, they reverse it. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, wow, this is less than a week old. And I was like, wait a minute, I only bought it about a week ago. Okay, so this is actually from November, but um, yeah, not too bad. Yeah. So the name of it, if, uh, was it Krama? It's got a weird font. K-R-A-M-A-H. And it says Bivog on the top. B-E-V-O-G. Bivog. Looks like Krama beer, is it right? Is that the name of it, or is that the what's the brewer? Brewed by uh, Pro oh shit, Paris Oh, Bivog is the name of the brewer. Bivog, yeah. Bivog Browhouse. Yep. Oh well, Beer Advocate gives it a whopping eight and nine percent, so they are loving it. I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong. I I actually like it. Yeah, it sounds about right, actually. yeah. Oh, their website's very pretty. They have other beers like Talk. More Munsters. Um, yeah. They have Und, a smoked porter. Mm. Um, so the Karma is 70 IBUs, if we didn't say that already. Mm. They have an oatmeal stop called Baja. Ba- or, well, maybe Baja. It depends. Um, I, don't, the, I don't Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes with salsa and tortillas. All the labels are pretty crappy. You see, are uh, crazy. I mean, do you see the... Um, uh, octopus. Deets. It was a hot hoppy kolsch. The und. Yeah, it's definitely a. Whoa. They have their own custom theme on a Google map. They do. They have a dark Google map. Nice. Smoked porter with a pipe smoking kind of hippie hatted octopus. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is just over the border in Austria. Near near where Slovenia, Croatia, and Austria all combine. And Hungary. Awesome. That was tasty. Yep. Yeah. That was my Uh, offering. Big win. Uh, Do you want to try that Russian one? (laughs) Change it up a little bit. Oh, and speaking of which, I did just want to say. uh, We can have another beer that's hopefully good. (laughs) (laughs) A bit of travel. don't have to have this one. I can just throw it away. (laughs) A bit of travel tips to anybody traveling overseas. Uh, Definitely always learn your beer vocabulary, of course. You know how to order in a bar. Also, uh, learn what the word for non alcoholic is. Because I bought a beer. It was uh, the main beer of Croatia is called uh, Ajusko, and that's like 
the main variety that they have. Like, it's pretty much their Budweiser. Anyway, they have several different kinds of it, you know, kind of like we had Bud Light, Bud Ice, whatever. Well, they have Ajusco Cool. And I thought, yeah, I'll be cool. I'll buy one. Uh, and it was about like three quarters way through the bottle. It's like, well, this is definitely different. Uh, it's not bad, but I just, you know, there's something odd I can't place my finger on. Yes, it was non alcoholic. Mm. <laughs> So the cool kids all don't drink alcohol. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. That sounds but, like proper marketing. But I will say, after the uh, non-alcoholic beer tasting we had many episodes ago, it was actually my favorite non-alcoholic beer. So I'll put it against this one. All right. Well, this one is a non-alcoholic beer that was given to me by um, a Russian friend of the show, uh, Olga Shvartakova. Um, and uh, she said this is beer for um, pregnant women. <laughs> Which... I always assumed it was still alcoholic, but this has the awesomest opener that I've cool. ever seen. So it has a cap on it, um, and it looks like a legit cap, but uh, there's like this little pool tab off of it, and so you pull the pool tab up, and then it turns out that there's like a strong, like thin aluminum that ends up popping off, breaks the the uh, vacuum seal, and then you just pull off the top. That's, That's awesome. Actually, super convenient and yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's better than that. What was that fly? Wolfing? Don't what was worry. The one that we had that had that weird pull tap that sucked. Sly oh, fly the Sly Fox. Fox yeah. Yes. Yeah, the one where mine like broke. Oh yeah, the whole top was supposed to come off, but yours was defective. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally episode one. Oh, was that episode one? Oh wow. And now we're at episode fifty. Oh god. Oh, did you get me anything silver? No. Is that the silver anniversary fifty? Uh-huh. At a uh, hundred, we can all have gold nail. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. All right, I don't think we're going to empty this out, but this bottle is like fine. half a glass. I don't think Sly Fox is doing those can- cans anymore. I know. Ever it since our bad review, tops, that's yeah. the power of the Blind <laughs> yeah. Tiger podcast here, guys. Yeah. So that's about half the bottle gone. Uh, it's got like a stinky, skunky smell. Looks like beer. Yeah. Very light beer. <laughs> it actually smells like... Oh! Not- yeah. Oh! <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> it's- can, it, can a beer smell non-alcoholic? Because it does. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, skunky is not adequate of a word to describe. It smells like skunky Skittles. Oh. <laughs> skunky Skittles. Yep. That's exactly what Taste I get when I rainbow. smell this. If, oh, if yeah. a dog came up to me smelling like this, I'd get a tomato paste bath yeah. ready. My <laughs> God. <laughs> Does Olga tricking us? <laughs> is she pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounded like she was saying, this beat is for pussies. <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs> There you go, Jesse. What? <laughs> oh. mm, no, Ooh, the finish is terrible. Mm. Oh, whoa. Um, yeah, I think. Ugh. Um, I thought it was worse going in, but I think it's because I was like smelling it as it went in. Once it's in there, it's just a very sweet, yeah, thing like the other non-alcoholics we had. Sweet, thin, non-satisfying beverage. Oh God, that I can't get over that smell. Yeah, it's. Mm. <sighs> Hubba da hubba da. Oh, man. So I'm much for that. Pour that in it. Yeah, your, yeah. And then I'll. Blah, 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 blah. It'll put hair in your chest, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how, like, the manliest beers are the non alcoholic ones? Like, <laughs> if you can finish this, you're a real man. I can't finish it. <laughs> Strangely, it's for pregnant women. <laughs> Well, I love the fact that um, Russia is so hardcore with their drinking that they literally don't want to have women have to give up alcohol yeah. <laughs> or, or, or beer in general because it is less than one percent or less than half a percent. Yeah, you said that you thought their vegetables were alcoholic. <laughs> I just assumed that uh, 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that they would get more alcohol eating like breakfast cereal than they would um, actually drinking a non-alcoholic beer. So hey. It's the fun thing about Europe, especially like Eastern Europe. I mean, alcohol is very tolerated. Like we actually saw playgrounds that had like they were sponsored by beer companies. That would, that oh. would, that would never fly here. <laughs> oh yeah, when I was at uh, when I was in Austria, there was um, it was right by the park. There was some guy like like a hot dog vendor, but it was beer. Yeah. And I think they had mugs. They were just giving you mugs of beer, and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna walk in the park and drink a mug of beer. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. It's nice. Uh, at that time, I wasn't drinking carbonated beverages yet, so. Right, I did not partake, but it was still like one of those like, oh, this is a neat thing. Yeah, I could do that here if I so cared to do it. Yeah. Well, my God, let's get rid of that. Right. Yeah. Taste immediately. Hmm. So, um, yes, I flew all the way to California, and my offering for beers from around the world is from upstate New York. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I've uh, complained about this before, so I will keep it brief this time around. Check out uh, episodes from about a year ago. Um, but uh, Palm Springs, uh, California is where I went, and it is not uh, as big of a beer town as you might imagine. I had a couple of things, uh, nothing that I actually hadn't had before. They had a couple of um, beers from like a really small quasi-local brewery. And uh, at that point, I just really wanted a beer I knew I was going to like. Um, it had been a really long day, and the desert dries you out like crazy. So I was gulping out a bunch of water, and I just wanted a freaking strong, delicious um, Red Racer 5. I, mean, uh, I can't not have that beer. So that's what I went with. But thankfully, friend of the show, Marissa Rosmilia, uh, was recently spending time at science camp up at Lake Placid. And she um, brought back um, Lake Placid's Ubu Ale. And uh, I had a day debate with the um, significant other as to whether the motto was sit ubu sit or sit boo sit. And uh, wait, wait, wait. Who? There's a television uh, studio. Yeah, boo-boo? yeah. But what did who who said what? I said ubu. Uh-huh. She said boo boo. Uh, I thought it was boo boo. No. It is ubu. There is, it is definitely tons ubu. of confusion on the internet, but the actual thing is ubu. I, I haven't thought about it's it definitely like fifteen ubu. years <laughs> yeah, at least. Exactly. But that's as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, isn't that that like sit ubu sit thing? She's like. Boo boo, you idiot! Uh, really? Like, let's look it up. I wouldn't call she you. She thought an idiot. it was boo boo. I That's... wouldn't call you an idiot, but I'll be like, isn't it said boo boo? She was pretty sure it was boo boo. Yeah, was she like... was thinking about a certain jolly bear. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, boo boo. <laughs> so anyway, it is a uh, so it's uh, from like, know, like sure. uh, New York, obviously. It is a English strong ale at seven percent ABV, <laughs> and it's available uh, year round. So beer advocates call it a good beer at eighty three percent, and the bros call it okay at seventy five. So we'll Whoa. see if we agree with the bros or the community at large. Yeah, yeah. So who's got the opener? I got uh, one. one. So, no, that, no so cool... you made me get up to get my keys, and you had one right in your pocket. No, I got up after you, Jesse. I would never make you get up if I had keys right next to. Do you want to have this flavor <laughs> in your mouth or not? <laughs> I do, please. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> That's a better smell. Michael? Thank you. It's sort of chocolatey. You want a bit more, Jess? Please. Mm, definitely. A good chocolate cake. Mm, yeah, it's very yeah. dark, darker color compared to everything else we've had so far. Maybe almost like a Black Forest. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is better. Well, I'm not... Face is not jerking back in horror and disgust like the last beer. Oh. So, Ooh. yeah, interesting. 
That's potent. Hmm. Yeah, you can taste the strong there. What? For only seven percent, that's um. That's only seven percent. Yeah. Whoa. It it tastes like a lot more alcohol than that. Sit, Ubu. Sit. Ooh, bad dog. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not bad, but it definitely does have that like strong sort of whiskey-ish or just alcohol note to it. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of the uh, the strong ale style. But uh, yeah, I would be really shocked if I had this beer. Um, I mean, mouthfeel, I guess, would lead me to believe that maybe it was a little mm-hmm. less than I would imagine. But it's a sessionable case. strong ale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's like it's a sessional barley wine. It almost tastes that, yeah, like a barley wine on the upper ends of that echelon there. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good beer. I don't know if I would just go with the bros. Is okay. I think I'd be higher up into the... I might actually place a little bit higher than the, the BA community. Yeah. It's interesting. Usually uh, the bros, I think, rate beers a lot higher than the community does. So in that case, it's kind of flip-flopped. Yeah. I give it a solid B. Yeah. I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, that rating. I do like the smell a little bit there, better than the taste, though. So our previous mm. beer, the um, Baltica, I would give a so F minus 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 minus. I would immediately suspend or expel expel said beer from school. <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, the previous beer before that, I actually liked I like more than this. I'd give that probably B plus A minus. Did Beer Advocate rate the Baltica? <laughs> oh, I don't Did they do non alcoholic beers? Oh God. Is it that even in American? Yeah, Baltica. Okay. Okay. What style is it? <laughs> There's Terrible? a Baltica Porter, extra strong, That's original, <laughs> classic, export, wheat gold, Svetla. Pre- premium. Uh, Baltica number one light, maybe. They have a ton of beers, so they actually are a real brewery that has other beers. Yeah, yeah. is it in Russian or it does have, yeah, brewed in Russian? Okay. Oh, it says premium know. in English on it. Oh, okay. Oh. oh, it does have English on it. Um, oh, there's the Baltica in Russian. I was thought you were reading that, and I was like, wow, that's impressive, Rob. Oh, you know me. They have the Russian. It's written there. Okay, so the lowest ABV beer they have here. Is, oh, that's the highest. Ah, Baltica Zero, non-alcoholic. Yeah, that's us. Let's take a look at this. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the bros have not had it, and the beer advocate community gives it a solid D, 65. Poor. That's... However, there is a jackass on here who, as recently as December 10th, gave it a 5 out of 5. <laughs> you blow. Oh, God. So on rate beer, uh, very similar. Overall, uh, for a style, it gets 27, and overall, it gets a 1. Because <laughs> I, I imagine they couldn't give it a 0. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair, fair description. So, yeah, that's actually, uh, I mean, I'm sure Russia has tons of actually delicious beer, but uh, we have not yet found one. Or, they, I think they're more vodka. Well, we're not doing a vodka podcast, although, <laughs> not opposed to that. Mm. We'd get really drunk very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, some of some of the reviews say, "Not sure why you would drink this." Water is much better. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, let's stop drinking beer and continue with more of drinking beer. And uh, this week's beer versus beer high low edition. So, Mike recently listened to a Radio Smart Talk segment about how craft beer is higher in ABV than traditional beer. 
When looking at the history of mass market beers, there's a definite pattern of almost a race to the bottom in terms of, well, let's be honest, quality as well as ABV. As beer brands merged, the goal seems to have been to brew a bland beer that was cheap to make and barely alcoholic. Budweiser, Miller Coors, uh, the th- big three brands in America, if not the world, are all beers with ABVs below six percent, maybe five percent. I didn't actually check that out. So I think at least the light versions are below five. They're all yeah. So Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light are all below five, um, which I think are actually the more popular brands. Bud Light, I know, is Budweiser's most popular by far. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Despite all that, the average craft beer is usually somewhere between 5% and 8% ABV. So while there are whole styles um, in craft beer that can often break 10% ABV or much higher than that, Mike's thought would be that we might simultaneously prove and disprove this Radio Smart Talk piece by pitting a low ABV beer with a high ABV beer in this week's Beer versus Beer. Beer versus Beer. Rob select the finest beer to pit in single combat for champion beer. Two beers enter, one beer leaves. So, do we want to start high or want to start low? I probably will blow the palate out of. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, we'll let you go first. So, Mike got a, a low ABV yes. beer, and then you got a high one. <laughs> yes, my beer at one time was the strongest beer in the world. So, the lowest beer. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, that terrible Russian beer was the lowest that we'll have this evening, but it we'll was not a craft beer. <laughs> you can call it the Putin. I will not take his rat. I got the hoy back from my kitchen that quickly. Yeah. Well, that was quick. So. Mike's got nimble dancer legs. He's a... It's like, yeah, Jack from like uh, the night before Christmas. It kind of reminds <laughs> me. You kind of like God. Jack Skellington. Yeah, you should be that for Halloween. Uh, thank you. All right, just a quick uh, spiel about this or about the reason behind this in general. So today, actually, on Radio Smart Talk, which is the call-in program on our local NPR station, WITF, spent most of the hour doing what was essentially a PSA. The idea that 12 ounces of beer is equal to 5 ounces of wine is equal to 1 ounce of alcohol or liquor is no longer applicable when you consider other beer styles that aren't light lagers, something that Rob and I have been espousing since the beginning of this show. While the guests talked about how craft beers should be approached with caution due to their possibility of containing a dangerous amount of alcohol, I want to point out that some delicious beers can actually be very low in alcohol. Low alcohol beers fall basically into two camps. Uh, the most recent trend, of course, has been what we uh, or had been called sessionable beers, or beers that are supposed to be enjoyed in quantity without totally wrecking the consumer. Breweries all over America are trying to put out at least one good beer that emphasizes taste instead of ABV. Uh, usually see this in IPAs, where a decent hop-forward IPA will range about 7%, where breweries are trying to recreate that hop bomb at a more modest 4 or 5%. But of course, I've seen so-called sessionable beers at 5.7%, so your mileage may vary hmm. when it comes to what constitutes a sessionable beer. Uh, 
I decided to actually pick from the other camp, which is a, the traditional British and German styles that were brewed for the working class, sometimes as a means of nourishment as much as a fun adult beverage. So the English bitter, which is what the style I chose is, was the original sessionable IPA. And I've decided to go with the one that I find to be an excellent mis- mix of juicy hops, biscuity malt, and still light enough to drink around your mom. <laughs> Biscuity malt? Yeah, biscuit. Yeah. It's actually a malt called biscuit malt. Okay, which I guess for them is cookies, right? <laughs> <laughs> the cookies malt is the what cookies. Is actually, yeah. So you didn't know Cookie Monster did rap? No, rap music? I didn't. Oh, it's it's well, quite good. That's a joke, actually, I, I tell my students then, too. But yeah. I worked for him at one Cookie point. Cookie Monster doesn't doesn't do rap he does death metal cookies give me cookies oh no my post uh, I did I, a post on, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 oh by the way the beer I chose if you care to know is because <laughs> I didn't say that is, is that in the notes at least Thank it, you. it is it just um <laughs> Oh, it's, you know it's page page separation it is the Coniston Brewing Company's Bluebird Bitter so I was in the beer store looking for sessionable beers and of course, you know, there was the usual like all day IPA and go to IPA and yeah. whatnot. And then I saw the Bluebird and I was like, that sounds familiar. So I looked it up and yes, I've had this before and I found it to be quite outstanding. And then it all came back to me. So there you go. It's all Surprisingly back dark for yeah. a sessionable beer. Um, all these uh, sessionable IPAs that are so fashionable uh, are really super light, light golden, if not just straight up yellow color. This is actually a nice brown, nice amber. So this is 4.2%, which is pretty light, I think. Um, Coniston's own webpage says 3.8 or something, but I'm pretty sure it's 4.2. So is it just that it's... Okay, so why would you make a lighter beer non-alcoholic? Would you assume, like you're saying, is it because you're assuming... Is it cheaper to make a lighter beer? Like what what are the things that... Why would you make a non-alcoholic beer that's... Or a lower alcohol... A lower ABV, a lighter beer... I think mostly because like the, the malts, uh, the sugars are what's going to make the alcohol eventually for you. Right. So you're just going to want to use as minimal malts as possible, and the rest is just going to be like a lot of water. Okay, and so that's what makes it dark. Then is that the well, more malts doesn't necessarily equate directly to darker. Um, there are obviously darker malts that are designed to make a black color. Um, so I would imagine it would be possible to make a somewhat, I mean, like porters can be lower on ABV, but I imagine there's a ceiling where they can't, I don't think you can get a porter down to like 2.8% or something ridiculous. No, not without like special means. Yeah. Um, probably because like those darkening, what makes it dark is obviously, uh, the roasted, uh, roasting those malts and eventually you're just going to get like bitter water. That's non-alcoholic, and that might even be worse than the skunky <laughs> sweet beer that we had. <laughs> All right. If you can imagine that. So. Yeah. Um, plus, I think a lot of those other fancier malts are oftentimes more expensive, which may be part of the problem. Like, obviously, be, you're not yeah. going to have a huge yeah, market sale. Probably for, cost. Yeah. So if you can make it as cheap as humanly possible. Um, you know, you look at, like, malt liquors where it's the same thing. It's, like, the cheapest mm-hmm. ingredients made to be kind of as strong but drinkable-ish as possible that it's more about cost-effectiveness than it is necessarily the quality of the beer at the end of the day. So it's probably that way. Yeah, um, so they're, so they're assuming then that they're not going to sell many of it? Yeah, I, like I would be... Sh- well, not... Intersessionable is uh, like totally legit. So, I mean, this is something that you would want. So, like, um, one of the things that was so shocking about going uh, to England is that, like, you know, we are heavy drinkers, the three of us, heavy, moderate 
the heavy drinkers. He's doing um, air quotes right now. Yeah. I am, <laughs> air quotes. Uh, yes. But it would not surprise me if I were to see you guys like at a, an event out of the bar Tuesday night, but then also Friday night, but then also Saturday. However, going over to London, it is like, hey, it is five o'clock. Let's hit the pub for a couple of hours like every night. Kids our age, kids, I put in quotes again, but people our age or younger, there's nothing that would prevent them from going to the pub six, seven nights a week. Nope. And so obviously if you're going to be pounding beer after yep. beer, full English pints, you're going to want something a little lighter. Mm-hmm. And traditionally they have been lighter over there. And so I think part of the dangers of um, the transition from um, British beers to American in terms of drinking is you want to drink six beers a night, but you're not capable of doing that if you're drinking 10% beers. So I actually have my, my uh, Londonites are coming home uh, for a week. Well, they're coming over for a couple of weeks. We're going to be actually in Lancaster for a week. So they're from here? The, this is their home? The wife is from here. Uh, the husband's from England. Who is this? Uh, my friend Becky. No, I don't know. Um, she, yeah, Hemphill kid, so I doubt you would. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I mean... I don't know people have kids? <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> she and her husband are coming home and her dad's a real big pers- a beer person, so she's actually been sort of like, hey, would you be able to maybe like take us on a nice like beer tour of the area. And I was like, sure, absolutely. Like I could put that together. But my worry is going to be that her husband who is, you know, of average height and extremely skinny is going to come back and be like, yeah, let's pound some 8% beers. And then just be out like a light because even though he's a heavy drinker over there, It's different over here, you know. If you're yeah. gonna like here, have a dogfish 120, and like go ahead, have a second one. You know, nobody can do. Well, most people can't handle that. No. You know, so uh, welcome yeah. to America. It's a little different. <laughs> Land of the brave. Hmm. It's very light in body. Are oh, any too bad. ones that are high in ABV? I mean, low in ABV. Hot, like have a thick body or heavy body. I haven't really run into any. No. Um, I mean, you can kind of make up for it a little bit if you over car- like if you intentionally add additional carbonation to get more bubbles. But it is sort of like a th- you want like sort of like a syrupy thickness to a certain degree. Um, and obviously, carbonation helps a little bit with simulating that. But you're gonna have a thinness there. Um, as as it being like an actual bitter, I think it's actually extremely good on style. Apparently, award-winning condition, uh, award-winning English ale. Mm-hmm. So, just keep this in mind before Rob destroys your palate. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, I should leave a little bit left. Yes. Brutalize your palate. That, that's um, not going to help at all. <laughs> <laughs> just enjoy it now. You're saying. And yeah, try to pretty remember. much. Okay, yeah. Let me try. Uh, enjoy it now. But no, this is actually something that um, summertime. Mow the grass. Sit out in the back yeah. deck. And I could drink like six of these in a row and still feel fine. So I, yes, this is nice. I just think four point two. I mean, that's it's impressive. It's getting down there, man. Yeah, it's still pretty nice. There's some limbo going on there. I have not met many sessionable beers that I've actually really enjoyed, and I could drink this and drink this. That's how I thought because I was like trying to ponder. I was like, well, which one do I want to go with? Because I never really like the the sessionable IPAs usually leave me high and dry because I love hops, but there's no malt backbone to it. And it's just kind of like, eh. yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of whether the the hoppy or the sessionable IPAs have just been here's a bunch of hops and it's light and it's sort of like this is bitter water. I'm not really <laughs> sure I love it, and I've had disagreements with owners of certain establishments on that fact. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, all day is not bad. But what was the other one? Uh, the bikini, um, uh, yeah, bikini blonde. 
I was like, eh, I don't like it. And he's like, no, it's great. And I'm like, whatever. (laughs) But it is what it is. So my beer harkens back to the turn of the millennium. Let's party like it's 1999. So uh, Dogfish (laughs) Head Brewery has been around for an effing long time. And apparently they decided in 1999 they were going to attempt to brew the strongest beer in the world. Oh, Christ. What did you get? (laughs) (laughs) So... <laughs> you wanted to go extremes. Yeah. We're getting extremes. Uh, it no longer is the strongest beer in the world. That's been surpassed many times over. And it was actually, I think, only um, uh, the, the instructional video says something like six or eight months till somebody else came out and beat them slightly higher. But what they brewed was essentially, um, well, what they call now the worldwide stout. And it is brewed with a ridiculous amounts of barley. Um, it's dark, roasty, and complex. They say it clocks in around 15 to 20% ABV. Uh, I don't really necessarily put specifics on it year to year. Um, much like uh, 120 minute, they just kind of say, it's strong, deal with it. So as I said, it was um, debuted in the winter of 1999. They were uh, fortunate enough that they would do a whole bunch of brewing uh, for the, the holidays, for the summer season, not holiday, for summer season for them. And then in, in winter, everyone would leave Rehoboth and then they'd be like, well, what do you want to do? And they decided to sit down and say, "Well, we're going to make world, we're going to make the world's strongest stout," and they did. Um, so uh, <laughs> they claim that it only gets better with age, and that <laughs> you can age it for a damn long time. Uh, so actually, um, I won't say that I aged it for years, but I aged it for over a year. I got this uh, last winter, and it's been nice. uh, sitting in my fridge for a year. So probably not the best. Um, temperature for aging the beer but it's been there for a while okay. so uh it's um let's see actually i don't know what it's rated actually um good question because yeah that it hasn't been around for a while well it was very briefly i think uh, no, probably around christmas of last year yep that's and it was extremely expensive per bottle and didn't last very long no it was two per customer and if you bought one you got a dogfish goblet so i got oh, yeah. one split it immediately with the uh the girlfriend and um, was extremely happy after sharing a glass, a ten ounce, or no, sharing a pint, um, sixteen ounces we shared, and it was just sort of like, whoo! It was warm and the fire going, and all of a sudden I was like cloudy and sort of like, whoa! I'm surprisingly drunk, and then we went over to John J. Jeffries to keep drinking, so nice. uh, it was a good night. <laughs> uh, so beer advocate community says it's a ninety four. The brothers um, give it a perfect hundred. Wow! Whoa. Um, so we'll see. How it is after uh, a year? Well, here's the spring break. <laughs> Jesse, you said you like getting drunk. So. <laughs> Jesse's about to take his pants off. That's what he means by that. And that would be if it was V12. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a little inside inside <laughs> baseball humor for uh, baseball V12. Yes, it's a twelve percent beer by uh, Victory and. Uh, oh. Justin Stillman had a bonfire and Mike drank a whole bottle by himself because I was driving us home and proceeded at the end of the night to uh, just drop trail. Mike was pantsless. Yeah, yes. He challenged everyone. He was like, what? My pants are down. Bring it. <laughs> nobody would join me. I didn't understand why. Because yeah. uh, nobody else had the V12. I think, you know what? There, it was one point when Matt Johnson wanted people to join him. He would like, I remember he, he broke, he ripped my belt. Trying to just disrobe. Yeah, he me. was kind of forceful with the whole like, yeah. But eventually, he just like embraced that he's the only one who's going to be pantsless. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. So there were. Hmm. All right. 
So this is about as dark as dark gets. This is yeah, this oil is, dark. It smells. I'm getting drunk from smelling it's it. It's not really like a chocolate. Oh, whoa. Not yeah, chocolate yeah. cake. It's like a chocolate mousse. It's um, like that really deep. But Jess yeah. is right. Cocoa. cocoa uh, you can like, like smell the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. can see aging it's this burning for, my nasal passages. for like six years. And... Yeah, it's like a cocoa liqueur. Oh, my God. Like, uh, what's like, not for Angelica, what's a good cocoa liqueur? Oh, my God. <laughs> There's definitely like a. There's There's no way I could taste your beer after this. Yeah, no. That's what I was really worried about. There's definitely like some fig notes in there too in the nose. I haven't had a taste. Yeah, there's figs for sure. Yeah, take a swig and you'll taste it. Yeah. Mm. It is like beautifully sweet, um, surprisingly smooth. You get a burn on the way down. There's no question about this. Is full of alcohol. It's silky and it it lingers so long. I don't work tomorrow. Thank God. Oh, wow. that is just delicious. There's a little bit of an alcohol note, but it's more of like a like a fine brandy or a, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like a deep red wine. I mean, this is like a dessert liqueur. What would you say? Like um, maybe Merlot? I don't know. Like, um, well, I mean, the, the sweetness is more towards port, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely port. You're right. I, I brought over my last bottle of the Boris, the Crusher, that I've had now mm. for probably close to a year. Um and uh, I'm sitting there going like, as exciting as I, as I, always as excited as I am to have a bo- have a bottle of that. Holy crap, this is good. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I don't want to try to jump by Jesse's opinion too much, but as nice. uh, this is so good. Uh, and I remember it being good like a year ago, but I think the actual waiting a year. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, when Mark came up, he was talking about getting vintages of 120. I think mm-hmm. you know, trying to collect all all, oh, yeah. all the Pokemon. Uh, I think I would rather try to collect all the worldwide stouts. Yeah, it's oh really god. good. It's like candy. Oh my god, it's like candy. And the great thing well, is, spoiler alert: um, <laughs> Rob won. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what does that mean then? Like, um, for the for the overall argument, I guess, like that. It means it doesn't matter that your beer is fucking strong as shit, as long as it's delicious. Uh, would be my opinion. Okay. Well, or, I but, don't know. I mean. Uh, are there? What I was I was asking if can you have a low ABV because that's what we were bringing with this Baltica. Was it like can you have a low ABV beer that is really good? And well, that's what I thought with the Bluebird. I mean, I think the Bluebird is a great beer. But it is. It depends, I guess, what you're looking for. I mean, I I definitely love the Worldwide Stout, but it, it you have to take it slow, and you can almost definitely like split the twelve ounce with someone and still Holy be shit, quite happy. Yeah. So. Well, you have beers like um. Left-hand milk stout's got to be pretty low in ABV. Mm, I think that's actually high. Is it? Yeah. There was a, when I was looking for my what stouts I would pair with my leprechaun breakfast. I think that was one that came up. It was the one from Dogfish Head. Was the highest ABV that I could find. Six uh, percent. I guess that's true. I mean, because I was trying to look for like low, low, and like I said, like there was yeah. I forget who what brewing company it was, but somebody's sessionable IPA was like five point seven percent. It's like that's not sessionable. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's oh. Just, so Samuel Smith's oatmeal stout, which I've had, is an, which is actually very good, is five percent. Okay. So there's an oatmeal stout that is Sam that Smith that singer. <laughs> there was Samuel a, Smith, the great British brewing company, and the Black Bee Porter is actually five, I think, four or five. It's pretty low. Um, so there's a uh, seriseats.com has a subdomain called drinks.seriseats.com, and they had Ask a Cicerone, the best low mm. alcohol dark beers, and so. Um, there's a Pete Smoke Stout from Newburgh Brewing Company in upstate New York. That's only 4%, which is pretty great. Sam Smith's Oatmeal Stout. Um, Crosstitcher's Swartzbeer. Oh, yes. Sam Smith's Oatmeal. It's good. Um, which apparently is 4.8%. Um, Victory. Beer. 
has a Donnybrook stout, which is just 3.7% ABV. Which is actually a slur for an Irish person. Donnybrook? <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, it's like a Donnybrook, it, it, it's like a, a slang for a fight. Hmm. So I guess like a, a slur for an Irish person is like a oh, Don, well, Donnie or something. So Guinness is a stout that's very low in ABV. Oh, yeah, ABV definitely. And low in calories as well. But the great thing about like this beer is that it's just so nuanced. That's I think part of why yeah. it's so good. The figs, there's sort yeah. of a chocolatey feel to it. It's it, and it's almost chewy. It's just yeah, like, it's it's really really fucking good. It's like a marshmallow, kind of chewy. And like just, yeah. Mm, yeah, it is. I it's funny having. I mean, it's not that I wasn't into beer before we started the podcast, but obviously the podcast has um, helped give a good excuse to, con- to continue the love of beer. And I remember the first year having KBS being like, this is a very interesting beer, but I'm not sure that it's necessarily, I can respect it, the quality of the Uh beer, but I'm not sure that's something that I would necessarily want to drink all the time. Last year, I would have happily just bathed in KBS. Um, Without a doubt, it was extremely delicious. Um, And I feel like the same thing with this, this worldwide stout, that there's become an appreciation of the low levels of flavor that come out of something as deeply rich and complex as this. And yeah, it is extremely strong in alcohol, but to be perfectly honest, I would drink this even if there wasn't alcohol in it at all. Like it's just delicious. Um, and I, I appreciate it for the values in which it was. And so I don't know if the smart talk was trying to make a point one way or the other, the dangers of stronger alcoholic beverages. <laughs> yeah. I the dangers are not. for you guys because you guys have to walk home. I'm already <laughs> yeah, at right home. Now. This is true. This is true. Bring on the craft beer, bitches. <laughs> By the yeah. way, I really hate Smart Talk. That guy just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I can understand that. <clears throat> I emailed him it, telling him that. Really? He emailed me back. No. Oh. He said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy he was talking to, the guy, the. I'm like I would like like when he's interviewing like the people that's fine, but when he's taking the calls, like it's not smart talk because he's like the people who are calling on her are idiots. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Like, that's that's why that's why I listen to it because and, <laughs> it's idiot hour. And he only took talk. one call there the entire time, and it wasn't a very good call. Um, so the guy he was talking to had like a smooth, velvety voice, and if you actually look at his picture, you would never guess in a million years that that voice could come out of that person. But that's beside the point. But basically, it just became like a whole PSA. Basically. Like we've been saying, like uh, with craft beers, they are tend to be higher in alcohol, so you have to be careful. Like when you drink them, yes. if you're going to be driving later, you know it's not like having like you know eight cores lights and feeling fine and getting behind the wheel of a car. And that's what he was trying to stress because he basically went into like all these details and like uh, statistics about like highway deaths and whatnot, and he kind of slammed millennials because we're the type that likes to drink this kind of beer but not know anything about like the actual like alcohol percentages or something. I don't know. Well, that raises an interesting question for you, Jesse. Is there a huge variety in ABV when it comes to wine, or are they all hovering about the same level? Uh, I don't. As far as I know, I mean, we never discussed that. Like we're like you just, you know that like after two glasses, like you really think if you're going to have a third, like okay. that's what it is. It's. Hmm. I feel like the the range of wines goes from like what twelve to fifteen, maybe like yeah, so sixteen. Like, you just know that it's going to be it's going to be quite a bit. It's yeah. going to be a, it's going to tax you. Well, and that, I mean that's different from four percent to upwards of twenty. I mean, well, and if you want to go tactical nuclear penguin bullshit, you can get up to like thirty eight or whatever the hell that is. Yeah, but. yeah, and I think that's kind of like what the, the fears they're trying to instill in people is that oh man, there's there's crazy brewers out there that make beers that are sixty percent uh, ABV, and it's like. They were just, you know, they've used special methods to get there. They're not yeah. really selling these in bars anywhere around you. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. 
I'm actually more curious about the, your word of we the the, the uh, suggesting that we are millennials. What is millennial? Like I thought I'm Generation I've, X. Actually, I've had this argument many times, especially with Emily. But even Emily is technically a millennial. What is, is it, a millennial? Is it 1980 that cut off? Yes, it is. Oh, because so I'm it's... a Generation X, bitches. The rest of you are fucking millennials. You're like the Miley Cyrus generation. Well, there's a question of whether really? there's a Gen Y. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, see, I thought yeah, there was a Gen Y. I've heard too, yeah. but... But I think you I said... I'm 79. Oh, no shit, it's, really. It's hard, to be, it's hard to be 20 years from the actual millennium and then be called a millennial, but I understand what they're saying. I don't think that... Um, I think part of the, di- the difficulty is that if you look at the trends of what each is... We don't necessarily identify with the sort of reality bites. We had a little bit of grunge, but it wasn't like we were in our twenties when grunge yeah. was a thing. Yeah. So that's hard. Well, but then we don't also we aren't really like believers either. So there's like this nice know, big yeah. gap of like what the fuck are we in between? See, I thought I was a Gen Y because I didn't really like. I mean, Gen X, I kind of went through it, but not really. I didn't experience it the same way. Like, what year were you born? Eighty five. Okay. So, like, I mean, it was palpable because you were, like, middle school, high school when that happened, and you definitely were in all the plaid and stuff like that. Right. But I definitely don't, yeah, I'm not into the Bieber stuff or even, like, um It wasn't like Kurt Cobain's death destroyed your no, entire no. sense of self-identity. Didn't what, kill me. What year are you, Rob? I'm 81. Okay, because I remember, like, Kurt Cobain's death was a big thing for me. It was I'm a only a couple of years, but, of course, I was always in music, so that was, like, right. a big yeah, thing yeah. for me. Right. I mean, that is CDs when it came out. <clears throat> well, that's it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed listening to us go on many, many a tangent after having both a sessionable and an extremely strong beer side by side. Just to recap, I totally won that one with the delicious Worldwide Stout. <laughs> you should totally get your hands on that if you get a chance. Uh, you should also get um, Mike's crazy beer from... The Baltica? Yeah. No, not the Baltica. <laughs> if you can get your hands on Crema, uh, that was also uh, extremely good. So, yeah, we uh, went around the world and we came back with delicious beer. So, just goes to show that American-style craft beer is all over the place. Join us next week with what I hope will be a special and different sample sode as I believe we are going to do uh, our first and ever commentary track to a television show. <laughs> Should be very exciting. Uh, we have a couple, we hopefully have a very exciting interview coming up in the near future, which will be awesome. Um, we may be returning back to Lidditz to talk with a very special uh, location. Brew pub. Yeah, there you go. So, as always, thanks for listening, and of course, keep on drinking. But, like, I remember not having, I mean, I remember a time of not having a computer at home. The, I remember dial-up internet was, like, a thing that... Yeah, I remember when Michael Jackson was black, but... Um, yeah, exactly. You know, Matt, Matt, having to print out MapQuest directions, you oh, know, yeah, these yeah. were all all things. <laughs> I remember my parents getting pissed when I, I updated it. I was a waiter at the Last Supper, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying, but I'm saying that, that our generation, wow, Jesse Clark... Um, I remember McDonald's sold 100 burgers. <laughs> Methuselah over here, yeah, man. 990 years old. Um, so that's actually from Tom Robbins, though. It's from one of his novels. Nice. Nice. Uh, but no, I think it's it, it's a difficult <laughs> thing to, to put into words because, um, you know, I feel like Jesse would be on the tail end of like a legit Gen X, but there's also a problem of being like, 
what was it really when we were in our 20s? What was the defining thing? And it's a really so different. So it has to be when you're 20s. See, I feel like it should be more like your teens because that's when like everything yeah, is, is when you're changing you. When yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's well, why for, I thought I was Gen Y because that was about like late 90s, early 2000s when things were changing like musically and film-wise. But I feel like you don't really like grab your sense of identity when you're in your teens. You know, like... Well, you're figuring, figuring it out. Well, you're separating yourself from your parents. This is your first time you're identifying I'm not yourself. saying you're trying to identify who you are, but I'm saying who you are in your teens. Because I feel I like... I still don't know who the fuck I am. So. Because I feel like people who are, like, legitimately Gen Xers, like, who are unquestionably Gen Xers, would be, like, the movie Reality Bites, which is a, a hallmark of, like... Uh, embracing or like Salt Lake City Punk. These are movies that you're were, thinking John Flavin. Um, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> seriously, I am sort of thinking John Flavin that he would sort of be like, wait, because you were aware of these things when you were 15 doesn't mean you lived them. It, you know, like, yeah, it's a different exactly. sort of mentality. And so I think that the problem is is that we have these things called millennials, which you know I feel like my sister, being your age, isn't really a millennial, but. Um, so I don't know what that in-between category, which we probably are all a part of. I feel like yeah. people who are probably, you know, um, just getting out of college or only got out of college a couple of years ago, right. um, definitely are millennials where there's a sort of like they have access to everything all the time. Yeah, sort of I, and that's thing. why I don't want to be lumped in with them. Not at all. <laughs> you know what, no. though? I mean, so I'm noticing when I'm teaching, I always ask this. So I have a music and cinema class. And I asked the first time, the first year I taught, I was music and cinema. I said, I asked how many people had seen the Star Wars films. Mm -hmm. And almost everyone raised their hand. Now, when I ask the question, two people raised their hand. I think that, like, the whole generation thing is moving so much more quickly now. It's not like it's a 20 year gap or 10 years, it's more of like three. Like there's so much changes, so there's so much that happens culturally in three years because of you have this instant access to everything. So that like when one thing happens that changes things, like it, it goes with that, and you ha and everyone has access to that. It's a th it's there's it's such a catalyst. Everyone's so connected. I mean, everyone's connected online. So there's such a catalyst for change that what defined these different. Um, generations, I think, is now, like I said, much shorter now. It's much it's smaller windows, these much, much smaller windows. Well, I always start to think about in terms of, like, music, of, like, the revolutions of, like, music. Mm -hmm. And so I look at something like, well, where, like, Gen Xers had, say, a talent of punk, definitely had grunge. And then, you know, you kind of look at, the, like, the generation after that was sort of, like, boy bands and as shitty as that boy is boy bands that, like rap metal yeah. yeah rap metal yeah. and rock has definitely taken a big dip in terms of like mainstream popularity you have rock but I look at like Lady Gaga doesn't count as to me rock that is no. pop you know but well, like yeah. name me the big rock bands that have legit cred like fucking Nickelback no yep. Um, well, they, I mean, they're big, they're but they, big, don't, I yeah. mean, they don't really have yeah. like, they're not winning. Well, okay, so music, I think, is different. Where music is hit in this point where it's, we've, we've, we're sitting in a stew, and like, it's, what's happening is everybody is, before we used to have a lot of outside styles that were like, when I say outside, as in they weren't in top 40, they weren't the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And they would kind of influence what was going on. Like, so in the 80s, you had like, uh, okay, in the 70s, let's go back to the 70s. Okay. You had you had Led Zeppelin, you had pop things like ABBA, you had like other things, disco was coming around, you had, there was, punk was going on, but it wasn't mainstream. Um, 
you had these, you had very definitive different styles. In the 80s, we started to combine them. I mean, Prince, I mean, he was fucking every fucking style. He was everything. <laughs> and I mean, Madonna, I mean, she had rock and other mm-hmm. types of elements. Same thing with Michael Jackson. I mean, he had a variety of styles. And then you started to synthesize all these different styles. By the 90s, though, everything got so controlled and predictable. It's kind of like, the only thing, I, I mentioned this, um, the only thing that, 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 the last time that something that was unpredictable that happened in the music business was really grunge, was Nevermind, was the, mm-hmm. al- the Nirvana's album. And since then, everything has been just derivative and just been just like part of that stew. Everything's been like, I mean, if you, if you boil things, if you boil Nirvana down far enough, you will get to, to Nickelback. And that's what Nickelback mm-hmm. is. I mean, first you get, okay, you had Nirvana. Then what did you have? You had Creed. Yeah. Remember yeah. that, and then yeah, and then you had, and then and the, now you have Nickelback. Right. I mean, it's all there's the lineage. There it so is. Does it go Pearl Jam, Creed, Nickelback? Well, yeah, but Pearl Jam. I mean, I don't know. They, Just they kind the of, they, but I feel like you yeah. know you have stuff like um, like electronic dance music has become huge, and there's like it, it might not be top forty, but it is a thing that it's been a, a strong powerhouse. You have the the up and comings of like rap slash rap R&B, I feel like the problem has been that rock was such a huge influence for so long. And you're right that it became totally controlled and predictable, but there's other avenues right now. Like, could you imagine Kanye West being huge in the 1980s or 1990s? Um, you know, I feel like there's all of these sort of like rappy influences that are bigger, or like dubstep. Dubstep is is really huge to the point where dubstep it's in like is not even commercials. A, it's not a genre. It's a technique. You True, see, but because because it's because okay, so um, we are way off on a tangent. I know, but uh, <laughs> you, you can keep or dismiss we'll whatever you want. But, let me mark, put a marker um, here, so in case and we want to edit this out later. But <laughs> but okay, so so dubstep is a technique. Um, you have music where uh, it's dance music, but because there's so little changing going on musically, that people are going to say dubstep is something new. Just as they're saying that um, Robin thinks thick song was uh, a, a ripoff of Marvin, Marvin Gaye's Gay. song. Yeah. But really, he was just copying the the overall affect. He was just copying himself. He was just like, just like, like um, Taylor Swift's song, or, uh, her whole album, 1989, could be, she could be sued from everyone from the 80s for that whole styling. Like, she just copied the idioms. She copied the stylings. It wasn't an exact uh, ripoff of it. Of course, Robin Thicke then did mention, quite literally, that I'm, uh, that I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm, you know, he's, yeah, he, he's thinking he of the song. verbally, but if well, you look at it, yeah. but he it, also it, preemptively sued the estate. For, yeah, but he did not, he did not right, have the same chord progression. Right. He did not, it wasn't the same tempo. Oh, really? It if wasn't if the same anything. Is, uh, if you look at the sheet music, it's not even the fucking same beats. It's just the feel of it. It does sound similar, but... It has the same affect. It's not the same, it's it's... Vanilla Ice will tell you his whatever. Well, Vanilla Ice yeah. fucking he sampled. He actually literally sampled. Yeah, it. but the reason he it. won his lawsuit is because he added additional at the yeah, end, and then he said that was just in the court said that's distinct enough. So the fact that like Alan, he should no he, Alan that, Thick, Robin yeah. Thick. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they should they should have been able to won that because he literally yes. reco- hit record and play recorded the sample from Queen and David Bowie yeah. and then play it back. Where Robin Thick instead. Said, hey, this is something cool. Let's do it too. It's kind of like if I did this, like Jackson Pollock that I have beside me, and if I just took paint and splattered it around, you can't sue me for splattering paint. Mm-hmm. But if I made it look exactly like this, that would be a problem. Well, actually, if you get 12 idiots to agree that you can't do that in a courtroom, then <laughs> yes, you can do but that. But no, it's, it's like he didn't share that. It wasn't the same chord progression. The, if you look at the, the things that, remember, they said, they actually said choice DNA. I, and I, what is that? They didn't define it. No. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I, I feel like it's hard because if, 
like for example, if you were to write a book where a bunch of young adults went to a special wizard school where they had certain classes and stuff. Like, at a certain point, you go, well, look, it's the characters' names are different, and the school's not called Hogwarts, and they play a game on a broom, but it's not called Quidditch. It's totally different. You kind of go, well... And I feel like that is a hugely obnoxious and difficult gray area. That the copying thing is extremely hard. Actually, quite similar to that. There was um, what I read first before I read uh, Lord of the Rings. I read um, uh, Stefan R. Donaldson came up with uh, something, Covenant series, whatever. He had a white gold ring. (laughs) And there were orcs and there were all those things. They were the exact same things, it seemed. And I read all those books. Then I read Lord of the Rings. I'm like, Lord of the Rings? Tolkien's, you know, copying off this this, this other Stefan R. Donaldson guy. And it's like, obviously not. Yeah. (laughs) It was the other way around. But I mean, well, but well, there was a ring gets, involved, and <laughs> that's where it gets hard. Like you have all those things, like you have the uh, the Transformers, and then you have the Animorphs. Yeah. You know, you have uh, there's a whole studio that just makes shitty knockoffs that are in, intended to have a mom go to Blockbuster. Well, when Blockbuster was a thing, and go, oh, there's that <laughs> thing, Transmorphers. That's exactly what my kid asked for, yeah. and oh, yeah. rent it so they could pay money. If you remember what or Blockbuster whatever. was, yeah. oh yeah, Blockbuster. I You're not a millennial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a lot of fun. Well, it was, it, there's actually a really hilarious thing. Um, Generation Xers. There you go. If you remember rather, Blockbuster, <laughs> rather than having you put your 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 age, like your date of birth, into a website to get the age, mm. it would just show you things that if you have to be that old to remember them, like a cassette tape oh, yeah. or a floppy That'd disk. And, um, you know, like, these are things that if you Zip were drive, born... that's another big one. Yeah. 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 If you if you weren't 20... If you didn't weren't born enough, old enough to know that these were things that were real in the world, like, I would want... I would love to ask, like, a, a 15-year-old kid, why does the save icon look like that? And then have them be like, oh, oh it's always yeah. just looked that way. Like, yeah. that's a thing that was real that you would save to, but now well, you don't what, understand. What year were you born? 81. Okay, so you you remember the the actual floppy? Oh, the thing. five and a half, yeah, yeah, actual yeah. floppies, yeah, yeah. yeah floppy, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oregon Trail, yeah, Board Monsters, Wolfenstein 3D. You need to yeah, switch yeah. out the stupid discs after every In, into an actual yeah. physical disc drive. It was oh, my, an actual. Yeah, <laughs> my dad still has punch cards. Program on punch cards in college. So holy shit! Yeah. Oh man, that was so easy to copy video games back in the day. Oh, so <laughs> easy. Oh, I used to. We, my brother and I used to try to like hack into the games. You would find out play, ways to like add extra lives. Oh uh, yeah, you because all you do is you type in list and it gives you the whole coding. So it's yep. just like trial and error, figure out which number means what. <laughs> to be honest, that's a, it's not exactly like that. It's but it's pretty similar to the same idea of how you do it today. Okay, well and that's what Game Genie would just do. That it would go in and say change this. I remember Game Genie. Game Genie codes oh, were Game such. Genie was pretty... Yeah, you'd be like, I want to put this code into Legend of Zelda, and it would go in. Okay, and this bit of memory change that value to ninety nine. Oh, ninety nine lives, woo, or whatever. Yeah. You know, that's that's pretty much how Game Genie did it. So yeah, you guys were were hacking Game Genie. We're we're doing essentially the same thing as Game Genie back in the day. Oh. So yeah. speaking of music lawsuits, I just want to ask you quick, Jesse. Uh, so Tom Petty, people have been. I mean, he does. I guess pretty standard stuff, but people have been ripping him off for years, and he's like never apparently like had a lawsuit. People, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. well, actually, he thought that that uh, that his song was the impetus for that Robin Thicke song too. Wait, the Robin Thicke song? Yeah, well, same nice. song. Yeah, yeah. He's he was a uh, something back down. Uh, I won't back down or whatever the song is. No, that was Sam Smith. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my lawsuits. Yeah, because the thing is like. 
people have been saying like, oh, oh yeah, Tom right, Petty, Smith, this, yeah. this song completely rips you off. And Tom Petty's like, nah, it's cool, like no big deal. But apparently it wasn't until that Sam Smith song came, came out that Tom Petty finally like did a lawsuit and won. Even though I, I feel like that, I think d- that definitely... Stay with me with Sam Smith. I mean, it's such a different style. It's like yeah, like now this I don't understand. No, I can hear the melodic flow. Is yeah, similar. yeah. You see, the funny thing is stylistically, this is way more differently. But melodically speaking, Tom Petty has more of ground on this one to sue than Marvin Gaye's family did. Really? Okay. Because melodically, what like when they're what they're publishing and they're suing on are the written notation music, and it's not the it's not the style, it's not the feeling or anything like that. You can't notate feeling. But the feeling here is the feeling there is very very different. But the music, when you notate it, it's the same thing. Sure, but at least at least they like sped it up or changed things a little bit. But it's I. You know we're the only culture on Earth that, uh, and I guess then in the world that that uh, that thinks there's an that has an ownership system with music. Yeah. I mean, not saying that this is a shitty song, <laughs> or how misogynistic it may be. Yeah, there's a feeling to it that's similar. It's like, oh, there's a party feeling, but it's like half of Parliament songs feel like this. <laughs> I just really hear it. I don't know. But like, you think of like, actually, if you know, if you look at the notation for the bass line, it's completely different. It's like on different beat parts of the beat. The cowbell use is actually different, which they are comparing here. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, so the things that are important for mel- melody are very different. And if he and if he is inspired by that, you know, yeah, I, I, th- I mean, whatever. I, I'm not too worried. Like, if you're taking the actual melody, that's the only time when I think you should be sued for something. Like Michael Bolton, he should have his balls cut off. What <laughs> what's the quote about you know good artists you know copy or great artist steal or something yeah, that's that's well sure like exactly. okay so I, I i mentioned before like one of my the favorite pieces of music and the most one of the most influential in the last hundred years well, i guess now 102 years that right of spring mm-hmm. i mean uh, when i'm looking at that and you're listening to that actually he's he's borrowing a lot of the figures from things that debussy did Actually, in a piece called Spring Rounds, which was very similar, mm-hmm. um, but his was impressionistic. He was he was borrowing certain like uh, certain certain. Uh, that's actually sounding like my voice. Uh, so this is a guy. This is a guy who I love who ripped into Frozen, and he went into the main hit song, and he thought it was ridiculousness. Inc- so when there's a constant tone of she's running for her Hold life, on. and what he's gonna offer to come with her, like okay, music theory, you'll know that this particular. Okay. So this is part. Song from the soundtrack that people wouldn't shut up about was called Let It Go. So when this song hit the chorus, I quickly realized that this was the one. And at that moment, I got seriously upset. Because this is easily the laziest written song out of all of them. <laughs> if you know anything about music theory, you'll know that this particular chord progression has nothing to do with musical creativity. And everything to do with 
way to make millions of dollars. Like, I get it. If it's going to show up anywhere, it's going to be in a Disney film. But the soundtrack had already proved itself so much before that having this one be that one song is not only a low blow from the songwriters, but also a painful reminder that to the majority of people on this planet, catchy equals well-written. I would love to be able to get sucked into a song that I've heard a million times already in different forms, but I simply just can't be entertained by the exact same song over and over and over just again wait for until it. the end yeah. of time. Like, if you're going to use that chord progression, at least have the melody and rhythm written in such a way that doesn't feel so recycled. Because as someone who does understand music, it's impossible to listen to this song without instantly thinking of other songs during it. So that was like Katy Perry's fireworks. Yeah, I was gonna like, say, yeah. right with "Let It Go" and like the big like emotional moments are like literally the same mm -hmm. build up progression. Thing. I think that's bullshit. And so you're the music theorist, Jesse. So I think that's absolute bullshit. I think it's one of those things where okay, you see the mountain and you see all the trees in it, but then when you study music theory, you start to see the trees. But when you actually really understand what music theory is, you see the whole mountain again. And this guy's just in the between stage. He's like seeing the trees and he's trying to nitpick and he's, mm -hmm. he's no, he's an idiot. He well, doesn't understand to, what to really fair, music is. His YouTube channel is to nitpick. Like that's the point. No, it doesn't. But these people are like, it's a good joke and it has, a, it's a good comedy sketch. Like, oh look, it's all the same song. But it's like, no, that's not. You're looking at the, the trees and you're not again looking at the mountain. Now, can you cue up the uh, Nickelback songs that sounds exactly like? Well, Nickelback because, is full of shit. Because but. that's why I hate, one of the reasons why I hate Nickelback is because, I mean, other artists can rip off other artists, fine, whatever. But Nickelback actually just like took one of their songs and just rewrote lyrics to it. And tried to and sold it as another single. And people like if I laugh it up. If I five cents for it, I'd run my Nickelback. <laughs> Um, and then when you're at it, look up uh, John Williams and Gold because he made mm. all of his millions from sounding exactly like someone from 1935. Hey, wait long enough. Yeah. Nickelback waited a, a CD. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe two. Well, look at that. I worked for them twice. So twice? This, this YouTube video uh, comes from Crockett Vinson. And uh, on the left, <laughs> it says, How You Remind Me on the right is Someday. And yep. they're both Nickelback songs. Yep. <laughs> that is almost literally the same song. You know, yes. if they if they had released this, I think this would be a good song. <laughs> they break the point, they break down with. at the same time. Of course, power chord at the same time. His yeah. voice goes up at the same time. It's no, so corn gold. Um, so uh, you know, Star Wars, da -da -da -da, ba -da -da -ba -ba, right? Star Wars, mm -hmm. corn gold, but da -da -da -ba -ba -da -da -da. Uh, yeah, right, it, it goes, goes down, down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. for uh, his, his uh, movie King's Row. Like his whole set, so uh, yeah, so so corn gold, he has these, he starts with these big brass fanfares, then he goes into this sensual string section mm. then he goes back to the, then repeats the brass fanfare oh that's exactly what john williams does for 
Star Wars, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. Superman, really everything he's done. Well, maybe not Harry Potter, but um, so the Indiana Jones theme. John Williams came up to what uh, Spielberg and said, "I have two songs I think would be great for the for the title theme, like the the actual like theme song, mm-hmm. whatever." And uh, he played them both uh, for Spielberg, and Spielberg goes, "Cool, put them together." <laughs> <laughs> the, the two melodies are the for, Indiana for- Jones song. I'm think, every time I think of it, I, I start singing Superman. Which sounds... If you stopped it right there and sang the Star Wars... Or the yeah, Superman I was going to say, that just sounds yeah. exactly, exactly like... Yeah. Because he's... <laughs> Or now that you've heard this, like if you think of the, the the sensual string section. Oh, by the way, so what he does is here. We're now we're hearing a repeat, right, of the exact thing we just yeah. heard, right? A little bit of a, a, a more percussion, right? Then he goes into the string section, where it's more sensual. Mm-hmm. He does this for every one of his things. So this song, the, this part was supposed to be the other version of the theme oh. song, and so he literally merged them together, and it works great. It just, it's so, the way he just, that like, it, 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 if you actually look at, like, it's just so predictive how he forms phrases, how he forms, like, where he repeats, like, where he interpolates, and it's like, oh, I'm going to just do a, it's, it's, it's so the same, it's the same thing over and over again for him. Mind you, though, I mean, of course, I love Harry Potter. His Harry Potter music is pretty fun. I hear that he doesn't actually, um, he doesn't, uh, so he hires students to orchestrate his music. He's like apprentices who are just like, hmm, so no, the unheard Farms music. it out. Right. Yeah, it oh, I know a lot of composers don't orchestrate their own music. They write, they, they play it on the piano, uh-huh. and then they give the music to an orchestrator, and the orchestrator will assign those different melodies to different instruments. Hmm. It's a common thing. Hmm. And those, those orchestrators then come along, and then they become, after they learn all the, orca- the musical tricks, then they become composers themselves. Like so the guy who did uh, How to Train Your Dragon, which was a fucking amazing score, mm-hmm. and should have beat the social network mm-hmm. um, for that, that year. Well... But then Hans Zimmer also had Inception that year, and Inception sort of won. I think it was 2012 or 11. Um, so that guy, I forget his name, but he was the orchestrator. He worked under Hans Zimmer before. Mm. What's this one? This is John Murphy from uh, 28 Days Later. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. It'll pick up later, in a bit. Liked, yeah. It's one of those guys I feel like should be more well-known that isn't. So he's not a household name, but he should be. No. This is the first time I heard Godspeed You Black Ember. Yeah. Uncredited, they refuse to have their really, and they're not in the actual like soundtrack. Huh. So, uh, are we gonna drink this beer? Or is that too much for tonight? Well, we were gonna. The only thing left is the conclusion. If you guys want to yeah. hang out and just bullshit while drinking, I'm okay with that. But uh, we should probably wrap it up. We are at 110 minutes. Well, we probably <laughs> cut out 45 minutes of bullshit music talk. I, I uh, put a, uh, a marker there nice, when we were like, nice. when I was aware we were fucking around. Like, all okay, right. all right. Other than just wrap that this up. That was, by the way, 15 minutes ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. 